Good afternoon and welcome once again to Wrestling Memories on Pioneer 90.1 FM KSRQ. We're also available live right now online at RadioNorthland.org and tune in. Yes, the TuneIn app. We're uh, part of that. We got all three of our stations for Pioneer 90.1 on that TuneIn app. But back to our uh, website, RadioNorthland.org. If you can't listen to us live, you can always go to our Wrestling Memories page located on that website and check out all of the great episodes we've put together in the past five seasons. Now we're here. Season six, working our way through the month of October. And uh, I welcome back to the program a man who was out on deepest, darkest assignment. And he's always I'm always glad that he's he's back safe and sound, Mr. George Shire. And George, we have what uh, Lord James Blears would refer to as a Bobby Dazzler of a guest this week. <laughs> well, as always, it's fun. And you said we're in season six and I still shake my head when I think about that, Glenn, because go to the SoundCloud page, and man, we have so many great wrestling interviews out there with great wrestlers, great managers, great authors, and historians, and man, we've just done it all, and so please do it, but we have a great guest today, and I'm going to let you have the honors, bring him in, and we're going to talk some wrestling. Oh my, this is uh, a guy that's right up the wrestling memories alley. If there ever was an ideal guest to be on the program, and we've been uh, trying to get him for a few years here. He has uh, definitely uh, been covering the pro wrestling beat for quite some time now, since the mid-1960s initially. He's known uh, in recent years for putting on uh, putting together a fantastic uh, column uh, for the Post and Courier in Charleston, South Carolina. He's been doing that for well over 30 years. On top of his already uh, his already uh, impressive resume of covering the world of professional wrestling, this man knows a thing or two about mid-Atlantic wrestling. He's an uh, he's an author, a best-selling author. He's put out a couple of excellent books about professional wrestling, including uh, one about the McMahon family in the early 2000s, and uh, one of his more recent books uh, on Scott Teal's Crowbar Press covers the uh, mid-Atlantic professional wrestling memories. It, it's an honor to have this guy on the program to talk with us, and we're, we're going to take the conversation wherever the conversation wants to go, because when it comes to professional wrestling, old-school professional wrestling, uh, nothing beats having Mr. Mike Mooneyham in on the conversation. Welcome to Wrestling Memories, Mike. Oh, my pleasure to be here, and uh, thank you so much. That introduction was so kind. I, I don't know if I've ever had such a sterling introduction before but uh, hey trust me mike he's going to expect a check in the mail (laughs) 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 at any rate that would that was uh those were very nice words and uh you know i appreciate it and and really it's my pleasure to, to be on the show and, and most definitely, uh, we, we're going to talk about Mid-Atlantic Wrestling, and uh, we're also going to get into your career as well, because it runs kind of parallel here uh, the past 30, 35, and 40 years, uh, Mike. Uh, we're going to go back, and we're going to take the, the listener uh, up here in northwestern Minnesota, more AWA country, of course, but we're going yeah. to the, get the listener to, um, who, who flipped on today. And, and, and get them informed about Mr. Mike Mooneyham. And I want to talk about how you got connected into the pro wrestling business. When did you uh, first become aware of pro wrestling, first of all? And uh, who were some of the first uh, professional wrestlers that you uh, had in your orbit uh, growing up? Oh, I, I'm glad you asked me that question. It, it was like yesterday, but it was 1964. Uh, a couple of buddies and myself were playing you know, football in the backyard, and I was... I was a huge fan of the uh, traditional sports like baseball, football, basketball. You know, I had this uh, great baseball card collection as well as a football card collection. 
In fact, the local newspaper had done a story on me once because I guess back then I had sort of a like a, a you know photographic memory. I, I know what happened to it because I can't remember what I did yesterday now. But uh, it, regarding uh, my card collection, you you know, and I and I really I collected thousands of cards. My my parents ran a grocery store, so I was uh, I was able to uh, to get my hands on a lot of you know. Uh, cards as they came through. Oh, you had a heck of an uh, in when it comes to getting the cards. If you had a store connection, when you got the guy oh, in the truck, yeah. I bet you waited for him uh, and were very excited I, when ab- he came. Absolutely. You know, I would go with my, my parents to the uh, the retail distributor, and, you know, they were fresh out of the factory. And, um, uh, you know, occasionally instead of an allowance, I think maybe I got a quarter allowance back then, yeah, I would just say, hey, you know, after can I uh, for the next few weeks? Can you just give me a, a box of baseball cards? And um, anyway, I, I went through all of those cards, and I love baseball. And I could actually—I don't think anyone ever stumped me. I could tell you who that card was, and like I said, I had thousands of cards. Um, you could put your hand over three quarters of the card, and maybe show me a little piece of a baseball bat a little bit of the sky, and I could tell you who that was. That's impressive. I mean, that is impressive. It was amazing. And, I, and, and really, to this day, I don't know how I did it. But anyway, the paper did a story on me and all of that. So, you know, my buddies would, would quiz me, uh, bring their cards, and try to stump me. And I don't think anybody ever did. And I still get uh, little notes and, you know, being on Facebook and everything, of guys I went to school with and haven't seen for years, and they said, do you still have those cards? Can you still do that? And and I'll tell you a quick story. This is sort of deviating from my wrestling subject. But when my kids uh, became of age and they started uh, looking at cards, and this was, of course, years and years later, they uh, they came across uh, a couple of my suitcases of old cards that that I had stored away in, a, in an attic and hadn't seen for years. And they had heard my stories about it, right? So... I said, okay, you know, I'm certainly not going to be able to do it these years later, but you can try a few. And I tell you what, they tried a few, and, and I got everyone right. And, and I still don't know how I did it because I just, it was like, you know, I had a connection with these cards, and they'd cover up more of the card, and I'll say, oh, yeah, that's Harvey Haddock's Pittsburgh Pirates. Well, they were amazed. They thought it was rigged, too. Everyone you know, thought it was rigged, but honestly, <laughs> I could do it, and I don't know how. But anyway, getting back to the wrestling story, um, yeah, my a couple of buddies and myself were playing football in the backyard, and I said, let's go inside and take a break. Well, we turned on this old black-and-white television, and there before our very eyes were a 601-pound guy from Arkansas named Haystacks Calhoun, uh, good-looking baby face named Johnny Weaver, and these two foreign menaces named Aldo Bogni from Buenos Aires, Argentina, and Bronco Lubich from Belgrade, Yugoslavia, with a cane-wielding manager from Kentucky named Colonel Homer Odell. And this was professional wrestling. We had never seen it before, hadn't heard much about it, never seen it on television. So we sat there for a whole hour and watched this show, and it was like it was like that scene in The Wizard of Oz, where the black and white turned to color. And 
from that moment on, I can, from that moment on, I was hooked. First thing I wanted to do, hey, they're holding matches next Thursday night at this, at County Hall. I've got to be there. And, uh, sure enough, my mom secured some tickets. Uh, a guy who came in our grocery store, he just happened to be the timekeeper there. So got tickets to go to the show and, uh, it's been that way ever since, and that was 1964. Here we are, 50 something years later, and uh, I just I just dove into it head first. You know, I did. I learned about. I learned as much as I could about it, uh, even though I was still well at the time. I was, uh, you know, not even a teenager. Um, I read, got magazines. I I even started corresponding. You know, reports for the old great magazines like wrestling review and ring wrestling and uh i got correspondence all over the country i started my own fan club championship wrestling fan club had members uh all over even had some from foreign countries and it just steamrolled from that point on and i do remember my parents asking me you know after a few years you know what do you what what in the heck are you going to do with this and uh, I said, well, at the time, I don't know, but I certainly love it. And now I look back all these years later, and, you know, I think they, I think they got their answer. <laughs> Most definitely. George, I want to bring you into the conversation because, uh, uh, you know, you definitely were someone who uh, did a, a, some corresponding with people outside of uh, the uh, area, outside into other territories. So you definitely can relate to, uh, to Mike as far as that and as far as the pro wrestling, uh, you know, stumbling upon it and uh, basically uh, becoming, I wouldn't say obsessed, but definitely uh, an instant fan and and collecting all the magazines and all the good stuff that went with it. Oh, yeah, Glenn, it is obsession. Let's just be honest about it. You know, when I hear Mike's story, when you talk about finding it on that black and white TV and, you know, that story is, that's my story and that's so many people that are our age that's how we discovered it. Turning on, I had a black and white Zenith TV, and it was a little portable with rabbit ears. And you know, people today, when you when you talk about that, they don't they don't get it. They don't understand. But that was that was an eye opener. And I turned on wrestling just like you did, Mike. Mine was a little bit earlier. Mine was in 1959. And you know, Glenn has heard the story. I I turned it on, and there were. Tiny Mills and Stan Crusher Kowalski on TV, and they were beating the crap out of some poor guy on TV. I was an eight-year-old kid, and it was uh, almost nine. I was almost nine, and there it is, you know, bigger than life. And you're right, it was in black and white, but, man, it was color to me. And, you know, the rest is history. And a lot of people don't get, and, Mike, I know you'll relate to this. We have the Internet and all of these capabilities today to look things up and find everything easily. And, but those fan clubs that you mentioned, those magazines where we gained correspondence and all over the country, they were our internet. And I miss those days. They were beautiful. Yes, I do too, George. I, I miss it. You know, right now I'm, I'm, I'm upstairs uh, near my computer and I'm looking at these, you know, I've, I've still got these old magazines and, I wouldn't trade them for the world. I mean, they, you know, they were like magic. Georgia, you know, we're, we're from the same era, and we had the same experiences. 
But when you went to a local newsstand and you saw a, a glistening issue of wrestling review on the newsstand, how did you feel? How did that make you feel? I'm sure it's the same way it made me feel. Mike, I will tell you, and it's ironic that we just had the month of September pass us by, but it was in September of 1959 again. I was visiting with my grandma, and we walked down to the corner drugstore. And, of course, again, this is something today's world will not be able to envision and, and even understand, yeah. but the drugstore had not only the drugstore portion of it, but they had a soda fountain, and they had the newsstand there with, the, with all the latest magazines and the comic books and all that stuff that you know just jumped out at us when we walked in. So I go down there with my grandma, and there on the newsstand, because I'd already discovered Mills and Kowalski, as I told you on TV. Yes. And I, I walk into the drugstore, and my eyes, you know, like in the cartoons when the eyes bulge out of your head? Well, that's what happened. And there is the fall issue, the premiere issue of Wrestling Review Magazine, of which I still have, and I swear to you it's in pristine condition. Because I'm, I'm just obsessive about making sure that my stuff stays nice. But I begged my grandma. I said, Grandma, do you have 50 cents? You know, I, and Grandma looked at me like I was asking her to give, her, give a kidney. Because in 59, 50 cents, you know. Yeah. But God yeah. bless her. God bless her. She gave me that 50 cents. And I was, I was just on the hunt every month after that to get not only Wrestling Review, but Ring Wrestling and Wrestling World and yeah. You know, later on, we had a whole series of magazines that came out. But, yeah, that, that's where it started. George, we had the same, we were at the same newsstand. We had the same grandmother. We saw the same issue. Uh, <laughs> you know, we wasn't really my grandma did. great? Yeah. She was, and wasn't my yeah. great. And they're, they're one in the same, George. We had exactly the same experience. You know, and I've known you for many years, but talking to you now, I mean, we're looking at this through the same set of eyes, and you're right. You got it. Yeah. Nobody today, nobody probably for the last 20 or 30 years, honestly, can, can really grasp what we're saying. They, they can't truly appreciate what we felt back then, what we saw. And don't you wish, and I tell a lot of the younger fans, and some are really good fans who have a great appreciation for the history of the business, but don't you wish they could have we could take them back into that time for just a day, just to ex have one experience that we had back then. Well, and you know, the funny thing about it, there's that old saying that you have to walk in someone's shoes to appreciate or understand where they're going and what they're feeling. And, and I really think that's what we'd have to do. You know, I remember many years I'd go to the newsstands and I started getting in at that age, I started getting into the comic books as well. Superman and Batman, you know, like discovered right. the superheroes. Yep. And on Tuesdays and Thursdays, those were the mornings that the, the magazines would be delivered to the local drugstore. And I would be down there. I'd beg my dad. I mean, I couldn't wait till I got my driver's license where I didn't have to depend on him anymore. Mm -hmm. But I would beg my dad, we got to go to the drugstore. And they had this little old guy who ran, he was, he was the owner of the store, but he was in his elder years. I swear he was 80-something at the time. And he would be sitting there and taking the bundles of the magazines and checking them off, all the ones that he was going to put on the stand. Yeah. 
Yeah. And of course, I knew that the latest wrestling review or wrestling world was out that day and whatever comic book it was. And so I'd have him reach down and pull out a pristine issue for me and give it to me. And he, he, he enjoyed this because he knew I was coming. And I'd, I'd get my two or three issues of comics and then, you know, the latest wrestling magazine. I'd go home and I'd be happy as a pig playing in mud the rest of the day. I mean, so you, you're with me. You get it. Did a magazine ever smell better? Did it? Oh, my gosh. That print. The print. The print. Yes. And it's so funny that you say that because through all these decades, my girls, my daughters, when they were growing up, every once in a while, they would see me take a magazine and I'd put it up to my nose and I'd smell the print. (laughs) This is hilarious that you bring that up. And my, my daughter, my youngest daughter one time, I think she was probably about five years old. And she said, Daddy, what are you doing? And I says, I'm making a memory, you know, and you can, every time I do it, I can, I can still do it today. You can smell that ink and it can pop you right back to when you bought that issue. Yes. We're nuts, man. Years we are, we are, but I mean, it's true. It it is true. You know, we're not on the same wavelength here. Yes. And you know, you know, the thing too, Mike, the, the thing too is that with these magazines for wrestling, which became a total obsession for me, I had a neighbor kid who was one year older than me, and he wasn't really into wrestling, but he wanted to look at my my wrestling magazines, and he wanted to look at my comic books. Well, this only happened one or two times, and number one, he didn't give me a couple of them back, so I had to replace them. And number two, I got some back and they were corners were bent and they, they were folded in the binding. And, and I, I said to him one time, I said, man, what did you do to this? He goes, well, hey, man, it's only a, a wrestling magazine. I said, but it's my wrestling magazine. And he says, man, you're weird. I said, that's fine. But after that, you know, and I got stingier and more selfish as the years went on. And I swear to you, I... I got to the point where nobody touched my stuff because you're not going to take care of it if, if I give no it to way. you. So, yeah. They didn't, yeah. they didn't understand how valuable it was to us. And today, you know, I know you probably have all your magazines and, and I have all mine and my programs and started collecting all these programs all over the country, you know, from all these different territories. I mean, we knew wrestling wasn't real before they ever admitted to us that it wasn't. <laughs> sure, sure. It didn't matter. Yeah. It didn't matter. Oh, we no. Were, we were oh, no. 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 It, it didn't so, so, when you say, so when you say that, uh, you know, like you can memorize all this stuff, and, and I, you know, I started just absorbing wrestling knowledge, all the identities yeah. and all the mask guys and all the, yes, you right. know, knew where every wrestler was at any given yeah. time and, you know, yeah. what titles he held. And, and you say, how do you do that? It's because you love it. It you just do. happens. It, it does. When when you feel that kind of connection with something, I mean, yeah, it's just like when you when you practice uh, uh, when you take up any kind of job, and if you love it, it becomes like second nature. And it people say, "Well, how do you do that? It looks easy to you." Well, it's really not easy. But if you love something and you you practice it all the time, you're going to be pretty daggum good at it. Uh, well, I don't even think it's. I don't even think it's practicing. I don't think it's even practicing. I think what happens is, is I spent 35 years in the banking business. Yeah. 
And that was my real job that I, you had to have a job, you went to work, you did your thing, but it was always wrestling for me and all the research and the different things I could do. Now being retired, I can't believe it's already nine years, but I, I've never spent not one single day since I retired where I'm not looking up something, I'm not researching something, or I'm writing something, all involving wrestling. And I live it, and I love it. So I get it, man. You yeah, do, you do get it. Yeah. Hey, Mike, I want to I wanna talk about uh, how you got involved with uh, starting to cover the pro wrestling beat because you you, know, you guys are firmly established. You guys are the, the, the just the obsessive. You collect the magazines, you watch it, you go to the shows, you see it on the TV. But, Mike, when did that moment come when you got involved with, with covering pro wrestling and how were you able to get in into the business because it's, it was a little bit different in the era of, the, uh, of kayfabe, sure. uh, most definitely, as it sure. is compared to nowadays? Sure. Well, you know, I made a little inroads when I actually started writing for wrestling magazines and uh, becoming a correspondent for different, you know, well, they were called, uh, and George will remember this, they were called fan club bulletins back then. I yep, was a they were, yeah. I, I was a yep. member of many fan clubs, and, and like I said, I started my own fan club, Championship Wrestling Fan Club. So I also had a string of correspondents all over the country, you know, covering different territories from Memphis to, uh, you know, Shire up in California to, uh, you know, the Crockett's in, in Florida, Eddie Graham, Cowboy Electoral. So I pretty much had all the territories covered, and, and I gained a lot of knowledge through that, like George was talking about. You know, we learned all the, the real names of the wrestlers and who the guys were behind the hoods, and, and um, it, that would actually be, uh, well, you couldn't call it breaking news, but that would be, revelations in a lot of the you know a lot of our fan club issues back then revealing who's behind these masks and what this guy's real name is and you know maybe some news stories about him every once in a while and some little puff pieces you know feature stories but so i I gained a pretty good knowledge of the business and and i met a lot of the old-time wrestlers um i was friendly with the promoters down here especially the local promoter henry marcus who uh, was I learned so much from him. He promoted for almost half a century and uh, kind of took me under his wing. So, you know, I got backstage at the shows, and that was sort of, uh, everybody didn't do that back then. Um, it was pretty, you know, it was very kayfabe back then, and um, most people weren't privy to that kind of uh, insider knowledge. But I well, met a lot it was of all guys. about keeping a secret. It was all about keeping their secret. Absolutely. And if you played by those rules, uh, you know, they'd let you play along. If they, if if you came to where they could trust you, um, you were okay. And that's what happened with me. And, And I met a lot of good people who were, became great friends. And, uh, unfortunately most of those guys are, are long gone now, but, um, that's really how I started amassing, you know, the knowledge and the connections. And then when I went off to college and, and started my, um, my career in journalism, which I attribute pro wrestling, I give pro wrestling all the credit in the world because, um, that really sparked my interest in journalism. You know, the writing mm-hmm. I did as a kid, absolutely. I don't know if I would have ended up in the newspaper business had it not been for wrestling. And really some of my first stories, you know, 
working for a newspaper, they were they were wrestling pro wrestling related stories. That was sort of my uh, my forte, you know. But anyway, you know, got involved in the newspaper business, uh, made a couple of moves, started a family, and I'll fast forward to um, the mid '80s when wrestling started its national expansion with Vince up in New York. And there seemed to be, there was more of a mainstream. Now, let me just go back a few years. I still, uh, as a sports editor here in Charleston, I would, you know, I would really write wrestling, uh, front page sports articles on professional wrestling, not all the time, because the, the leadership at the paper was, you know, okay, these are good features every once in a while, but let's not overdo it. And I understood how far I could go. But as wrestling took on a more mainstream appeal and the age of kayfabe was sort of on the way out, um, I got a call from, we, we had sort of a new uh, shift in, in management. We had some more uh editors with, uh, they were more open and, and they could see the writing on the wall where wrestling was going. And the executive news editor of the paper brought me in the office and said, look, we know you're a resident, you know, authority on professional wrestling. Um, why don't we do, why don't we start a column? And I said, uh, okay, yeah, I mean, that would be great. I think it would be great to, to, you know, for, for pro wrestling, we could really promote some local shows. I said, what do you mean, maybe once a month or, you know, something along those lines? And he said, no, once a week, every wow. Sunday, which, you know, that was big. Sunday, that's, that's the big paper, okay? That's, yep. that's where all the eyes are on our Sunday paper. And I said, wow, okay. Um, I said, I just have one, uh, well, one thing I would like. I would like for it to appear in the sports section. And he said, you got it. And, you know, that was a big deal because columns that would follow, that's, you know, then you started a month, a few months later, a year later, you started seeing these semi-regular wrestling columns show up in, in newspapers. But they, mm-hmm. most of them were in, like, the features section or right. the TV and entertainment section. Not in sports, but my column started running every Sunday in the sports section, and I got great feedback, um, got a lot of space, and it just took off from there, you know, and and that's like 30 years ago, and um, it, it's still running every Sunday, even though I retired 18 months ago after spending nearly 40 years at the newspaper, um, they approached me and said, you know, will you please continue writing your column? I said, yeah, we worked out some, you know, terms and it, yeah, we haven't missed a week. So, uh, it's been quite a long run, but who would have thought? Well, and I think too, if you, if you follow the, the path of life, you realize in the very beginning, if you go back as a kid, I know I've done this. You never planned. This wasn't something that you planned out to do. No. It sort of happened because of your love for it. And, you know, I, when you talked about writing for the magazines and, 
And I think many of us did that in the early years. We'd send a story to one of the magazines, and oh boy, they'd publish it. And, you know, they'd send you a few dollars in the mail and you'd be happy yep. again. And, and, uh, but it just sort of happened. And then all of a sudden the wrestlers are calling you and asking you for information. And do you know when I wrestled in this town or what year was I in this, this uh, territory? And, and, you know, then they trust you and come to you and here we are. And, and it, it's just, a, it's so much fun. I mean, uh, like I said, you work on it every day and it's a labor of love. I told my wife, I wished I could have been doing this for the past 50 years full time. I'd have taken a lot of years of stress off my life. <laughs> yeah. And, and it really just is a, is a hop and a skip away, George. You know, when, like I said, when I look at these, this, you know, huge stack of magazines and I'm thinking, well, gee, that's like 1965, that's 1966. I mean, yeah. It was that from that jump to where I am today, and there's a link. There's a link from me to those magazines, and it's never been broken. And that's amazing because I don't know how many people can say that. You, for one, um, and I'm sure there are a few of others, but, you know, we're part of uh, um, our generation is kind of fading out, George. You know, there are not too many of us left. Well, we know that, and that's why we continually need to preserve it. And, I mean... Uh, when you talk about these magazines and you go back, for some reason, I've been reflecting a lot in 2017 on 1967, and that's 50 years ago. And back in 67, I, I was uh, uh, 15, 16 years old. And you think, wow, it doesn't seem possible. But when you can pull out all these programs or you can go through these magazines, mm-hmm. it's yesterday. It has not moved. And you just, it's as fresh as yesterday. Yeah, and, and time really flies so fast. I mean, really no kidding. Today, and I know it's partly being retired, you know, having retired, because when I was working, I had to know every day. I had deadlines every day in the newspaper. Yes. But yeah. now, you know, I, I wasn't sure. <laughs> My wife said, you know, I was thinking today was like, uh, Thursday, but she said, no, it's Wednesday. We went to a restaurant that had a special, right? And she <laughs> says, why are we going here tonight? And I said, because it's a special. She said, no, no, that's tomorrow night. And I said, what's today? She said, it's Wednesday. There and, you go. I mean, I, you know, my, I can't keep the day straight, much less the years, but it's just so hard to believe that, that 50 years or more have passed. Um, I still kind of scratch my head and wonder. I, I'd like to do some of it again, George. I'd like to be at that newsstand again, wouldn't you? Well, you know, and I say that all the time. If if I could create a time machine or if someone invented one, I'm volunteering to be the first person to uh, be transported back. Because, again, if you if you didn't live it, I have people today, and, you know, we all know that how the wrestling business changed over the last 30 years. Since, you know, 85 through 87, it started progressing into what it is today. And when I talk to fans of today, I mean, we are totally on different pages because had they not, they didn't live it, that black and white TV and, and going down to the local arena and seeing the matches every week and, and picking up that program and that smoke filled auditorium and, and, you know, there was no pyrotechnics and no loud music. It was just the four lights above the ring in a dark auditorium. And you're there for that grudge match or whatever it is. 
the, the people today don't understand that. And I said, man, you can watch YouTube videos until you're blue in the face, but you're not going to get the feeling. You're not going to feel it. No. You're not going to feel the, the rush. No. no, it doesn't work that way. And no, so, man, yeah, I'd, I'd go back. Yeah. When you say that stuff, I just, you know, all kind of thoughts come, just come flowing. And I'm thinking about, you know, these buildings, these auditoriums that we went to when we were young, they seem so huge. They seem like, you know, I've never, look at this place. It is packed. It looked like a Madison Square Garden to me. And uh, one such, was such place that, and I covered quite a few shows there, was uh, this place called the Savannah Civic Center. And, you know, I saw Kaniski there. I saw Luthez. I saw young Bob mm-hmm. Shane. Saw so many stars back then. And the place, to me, it was always packed. And it was packed. And it looked like this huge building, right? So, you know, I fast forward about 25 or 30 years, and I haven't been in that area in, in, a, in a good while, and I haven't looked for the, the old sports arena. But one day I was in Savannah. I said, you know, I'm going to find that place. Um, on Broughton Street, I'm, I'm going to look for where that, and I, I don't know if it's there anymore, I'm sure it's not, but I want to find that location. And I went up and down the street, up and down the street, and I couldn't find it. I said, I know it's in this area right here. And I went into a store and I asked somebody, okay, where was the old Savannah Sports Arena? Because I, I know it was somewhere, and they pointed across the street to a Piggly Wiggly grocery store. Oh, there you go. There's an oldie for you. And I'm saying, but that was it? Yeah, they just redid the, the you know, the Piggly Wiggly. They didn't, um, it's the same dimension and everything. But that's an example of how big it looked to me as a young guy and what it really was now. You know, right. it was a big Piggly Wiggly, but that's where, I, that's where I saw this huge cavernous building that I thought was, it looked like Madison Square Garden, but actually... It was it was that size, and you know it could hold a lot of people. But you you look at the arenas, how big they became, and and those places that we went to were you know you go in there today, and like I said, you go to a grocery store or some uh, music shop. I mean they they look pale they pale in comparison to what the arenas w- would become. But I think everything was bigger in those days, George. I think everything looked bigger. Uh, well, that's because we were we were younger and we were littler kids at the time. You know, it's interesting when you bring up about those old auditoriums because um, I could travel down. In fact, just this afternoon, my wife and I were going down one of the local streets in our downtown area here in St. Paul, Minnesota. And we had commented about the old St. Paul auditorium where it's no longer there. They're now on their third version of a of a, a civic center type place where it's huge. It holds, you know, 30,000 people. Yeah. And we were talking about that this afternoon. And you, it was so fun back in the day when I finally got my driver's license in 1967. There's that 50-year mark again. But, yeah. you know, Mike, I started, I started driving around to other cities in the AWA territory, you know, I'd drive to Milwaukee and I would drive sure. to St. Louis to see an NWA yeah. card. Oh, yeah. And I'd go to Indianapolis during the summer and in the early seventies and the sixties, man, I was never home. And it was so much fun to go to all these arenas. Yeah. 
was. And the one yeah. thing I always was amazed at is, you know, people don't realize that when you had these old auditoriums, if they had 3,000 to five, 6,000 people that attended a wrestling event, you got to remember that these, these buildings were hosting wrestling cards sometimes every week or every two weeks. And yes. they're drawing, you know, 6,000 people two times. That's 12,000. And I always go back to Houston, which was, has always been one of my favorite wrestling cities back in the day. Mm -hmm. And they ran wrestling every Friday night, 52 weeks a year. The only time they didn't run it was if it was on Christmas Eve, mm -hmm. they didn't run on that Friday night. But otherwise you got all these cards and you think if you're drawing, oh boy, 3,000 to 7,000 people for a card at the Houston Coliseum, and you're doing that 52 weeks a year, look at yeah. the attendance. Yeah. I mean, that attendance, people don't realize, that rivaled a lot of other sports back in the sure day. Sure it did. Sure it did. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and even today, you know, they say how big wrestling is. Well, you know what? We may get a, a, a big show here, you know, WWE show once or twice a year. Okay, so maybe we they do get too. five or six. Maybe they get five or six thousand. Maybe they get eight or nine thousand. That's two times. Like you said, they used to run wrestling here every Friday night. You know, fifty-one to yep. fifty, fifty, fifty-one weeks out of the year, and maybe they drew a thousand. Maybe they drew twenty-five hundred. But that's times, you know, fifty-something weeks a year. So when mm -hmm. people say today that wrestling is guys the biggest audience, how could it have a bigger audience than thirty different territories? At least thirty territories that ran some ran two shows in that territory a night, some three. Sure. Every day, every day, you add that, and you know it. It doesn't even come close. It, it, today's figures don't even come close to matching that. Well, and you mentioned about. The, the modern day product when they come into town now, you know, they come in once or twice a year here in Minneapolis coming up on the 21st of, of the October. So that's next week. Um, we've got uh, one of their, uh, what do they call it? TLC tapings with the tables, chairs and ladders or whatever. Right. I mean, and I, and of course I could care in the least, I won't be there and I wouldn't go if they gave me a backstage pass. How sad is that? But they're here, and the funny thing is, as I tell this to fans, I say, you know, when, when we used to go to all these territories and you had wrestling every week in your town, you saw different wrestlers, you saw different matches, you saw different styles of wrestling, different ways it was presented. Sadly, the fan of today, they, they, don't, they don't have that option. They get to see wrestling in their city once a year when they come in live but otherwise they're just watching it on TV and getting the pay-per-view. That's right. That's it. That's exactly right. Whole different, whole different thing. Yeah. And you remember back in the day, I mean, you, you, you knew the excitement from one week to the next, it, they built on that program from that, that night, you knew next week you were going to see the continuation of a feud. Maybe you see a fresh brand new match that you'd never seen. Yep. It was all different. Yep. Every week was different. Might be the same two guys in the ring, or the same four guys, but maybe maybe one week it's a Canadian lumberjack match. Maybe the next week it's a Texas death match. Different stipulations. Yeah, yeah. with well, the next the next chapter in their program together. 
And, you know, I always remember the words that Vern Gagne said to me many, many years ago. He said, our job with television is to get them to go buy tickets, to get the fan to go buy a ticket. But once we get them to the auditorium, then we have to give them a reason to want to come back next week. And they do that at the auditorium. I mean, they had to have some, you know, some, you know, something happened in the main event where the, the good guy got screwed out of the title or some manager interfered or, you know, how it was. And they set up that rematch and it was worth going to get your tickets right there. Beautiful it really here. Yes, it was. We're talking. Glenn, with, are you still with us? We're talking with uh, George and Mike. Oh, I'm definitely uh, sitting back and soaking this all in here on this very special wrestling memories with our guest Mike Mooneyham. And uh, Mike, again, like George, you guys, when you talk about your memories, also you have to really take into account how important the geography of the areas of which you guys grew up and were able to see these shows and the accessibility to get to these shows. Because when you look at it. The AWA and uh, the Jim Crockett Promotions Mid-Atlantic areas, if you could find two better areas for territories to grow up, prosper, watch, and follow, those two spots were definitely some of the hottest spots in wrestling pre-McMahon expansion. Oh, yeah. You know, I always said I was so lucky to grow up here in the Carolinas. We had one of the, one of the best territories around. It covered the Carolinas and Virginia, and... Um, uh, Jim Crockett Sr. was a promoter, and then, you know, when he passed on, Jim Jr. took over. But, I mean, we, you know, we developed a lot of talent. You know, young guys, Flair, you know, he he earned his wings here. Ricky Steamboat, um, while there were... Both of whom, by the way, were trained up in the AWA by Vern Gagne. Yes, a- exactly, yes. They were all yeah. products. Yeah. Um so, you know, we just had such great talent coming in and out. We had Mulligan, we had Wahoo, we had all those guys who were great uh, teachers and trainers as, as well as, you know, established veterans. Um, but, George, you probably had this experience, too. Sometimes you would venture out of your territory. Uh, I know the AWA, it, was a, it covered a large, uh, a large geographical base. But, you know, I was yes. right here close to Georgia. Well, you know, next door to Georgia, which was a territory in, in itself, in a very good territory, mm-hmm. and the next state down was Florida, which was right. you know one of my favorites. So I got to uh, I got to go, you know, as a youngster, I got to go to a lot of those shows in Georgia and Florida, and uh, also pick them up on my my TV. You know, of course, I had an antenna. And uh, you know, on any good uh, Saturday Saturday night, I could I could pick up Georgia Championship Wrestling, and if the signal was really good, I could pick up Florida Championship Wrestling with Gordon Soley. Of course, to do that, I had to get a rotor to turn that antenna to certain directions. Mm-hmm. You know, I got I got a little savvy in that area, and I'm I'm picking up Georgia Championship Wrestling, Florida Wrestling, as well as Mid Atlantic. So, you know, I was sort of getting the best of both worlds. Um, did you have that same experience where you would go outside your territory every once in a while? Oh, long? definitely. And, you know, the television experience, too, because back in the 60s, and again, we're in the black, t- television wrestling didn't go to color TV here in the AWA until 1972. And that was yeah. well after a few years when most of the television shows were being broadcast in color. But mm-hmm. the the black and white era 
there was a time in the 60s when on a Saturday afternoon we could get Chicago wrestling that was a little bit different than what our wrestling was. And it was usually a tape delay type thing. And it was also something that the AWA promotion would say, we're not associated with that other show. You're going to see the best wrestling right here. You know, they had to make sure they differentiated themselves. But yeah, we did that. And when you talk about these territories, you know, like going, I know you said earlier about going to an auditorium and just getting that feel. I remember when in the late sixties into the mid seventies, whenever I would go down to Tampa, Florida, I'd go to Orlando uh, with the family. And I always had to go to Tampa to see the wrestling card. And I was very fortunate because I had a, a fan down there, a friend who would arrange for me to have a ticket and I always, I was always sitting in the corner, like I got this great seat, you know, and that Fort Hesterly auditorium, Fort Hesterly uh, National Guard Armory, Fort and Hesterly, right. Homer Hesterly, yes, and it was just, again, it was, it wasn't a big venue, but it was huge then, and they ran wrestling every, I think it was every Tuesday night, if I look every at my Tuesday programs, night. I think it was every right. Tuesday, You're right? Correct. Did you know a guy named Gene Gordon? Very well. I've got a lot of his okay. photos. Gene Gordon was one of the guys back in 1966 that I had hooked up with through Wrestling Review, and uh-huh. he had taken pictures, and Gene and I worked out a program exchange situation where I'd send okay. him our programs, he would send me his, and you know, of course, that's what I did all over the country with different, uh, either the promoter or somebody within the wrestling office sometimes i'd get a a really good reliable fan to do it but that's how i started my program network and gene gordon god love him um you know you mentioned earlier you saw haystacks calhoun and johnny weaver against lubitsch and bogney i got a ton of programs with those guys in them from that era because gene gordon would send them to me do do you have the charlotte programs those are the ones i do Monday night. That's I've got a box full of them right here. I'm looking at them. Isn't that awesome? Isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. You know what happened? Well, a couple of years, I went to look, and a lot of them are pasted together. They've been in a box so long. Okay. And unfortunately, a lot of them, and you know, I'm afraid to try to remove because they'll peel. Yeah. So I've kept them like that, but you know, that's also. I mean, that stuff is going to happen, but weren't those great programs, Monday Night Park Center? Uh, well, they were always great programs, and it was fun getting all the different programs from the different territories. Now, Glenn, he's been, he's been to my house. He has seen, it's been a few years, and it keeps, yeah. it keeps changing, but he's seen how I saved my programs, and I've got them all in file cabinets, in files by year and date, that oh, sort of thing. It's a wonderful thing, man. Oh, man, I wish I had that organizational uh, deal going on here. But anyway, that's great. But no, I, I mean, you talk about Georgia. You know, I used to have a correspondent that I called him at the time. I, I would get all the Georgia programs. And, man, those ringsider programs uh, from the 60s, oh, my gosh, they were beautiful, the magazine-type program. Some of my favorites, let me guess, was it Chuck Thornton? Uh, it wasn't Chuck that sent them to me, no, but Chuck is a longtime friend. I mean, I, I know we yeah. have a lot of mutual friends. Um, yeah, it wasn't Chuck. Chuck. Okay. Yeah. Okay. I have a lot, of, yeah. a lot of Atlanta programs, compliments of Chuck. We traded as well, but yeah. So but it really worked out here. well. It really worked out well because I would, I would just 
contact these people and I'd say, I want to send you each program from our card. And if you would be so kind to send me yours. And that's how I got Paul Bosch to send me all of the Houston programs. Oh, man. And I had Nick Roberts in Lubbock, Texas. And, you know, he was the promoter and he was an old wrestler. Yeah. I had met him as a kid. He wrestled up in the AWA. Yeah. And yeah. so I'd get all his programs. And Gene Gordon would send me his. And Boyd Pierce would send me in, in Dallas. He would Fort send Worth, me the Dallas, Dallas and Fort Worth. Yeah. And, right, oh, I mean, right. so all these, all these cities and you're getting all these programs. And it just became important for me that I'd say, I got to have a filing system. I got to have everything organized. And if I've survived with anything in my life, my wrestling collection comes first. I I I tell my wife, I say, I don't care if the house burns down and the TV and the, and the couch are gone, but we got to guard the wrestling. Okay. (laughs) I, I wish I could take a picture. I would never dare take a picture of what I'm looking at right now. We have a little room over the garage, right? Uh-huh. And I think of your organization, and I can almost visualize it. You have everything in order. I'm looking at. I do. Uh, pretend Santa Claus in December before he starts packing up the toys, okay? And everything's <laughs> just high. You know, it's 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 like two or three feet higher than me. And I'm yeah. looking. Okay, uh, I'll just try to. Dis- uh, I'll send you this description, okay? I'm looking at eight huge boxes and how they are how they haven't collapsed i know how they haven't collapsed there's about 40 boxes on the other side that's holding them up if i moved a box we'd probably have a an earthquake an avalanche up here right but there are hmm. like eight boxes of old wrestling tapes you know audio cassette tapes oh yeah wow now i don't dare try to go there now because i think if i moved something or tilted it everything would fall like dominoes. Mm-hmm. But I'm telling you, guys, I still have all of that right here. And here's uh, a couple of rows of newspapers about maybe eight, seven or eight feet tall uh, with my wrestling stuff in it that's uh, against the wall, and it's also kind of leaning a little bit. But I'm telling you, everything's here. I just can't get to it. I just haven't got it organized. And I promised myself once I retired that I would get up here and start the process. But I've been so busy, I haven't been able to. I'm, I kind of wonder now, <laughs> when did I ever have time for a job? I don't know. Oh, man, do I ask that question every day. Well, here, here's the deal for you, Mike. And I was going to yeah. suggest that because you said you're retired. And what you need yeah. to do is, is just a, a few mornings or afternoons every week, just uh, yeah. go up and, and you'll be surprised. Here's what I applaud you for. You still have the stuff. Uh, it always hurts. It always hurts me when someone says, well, I think I had that one or I had that one sometime, that program or that magazine. It's like, man, if you don't have it, don't talk about it. You know, it's like mom who threw all the baseball cards away. Remember those stories? It's always mom's fault, you know, but it was a matter of you had to take care of your own stuff. And I learned that as a little kid. Like I said, I didn't, I even, even my sisters and brothers, I mean, they'd got admonished if they even touched something of mine and I wouldn't have it today if I wasn't that, that you know, obstinate about it. And, and, you know, I guess I'm lucky that I know I still have the vast majority of it, even though a lot of it's not accessible. And really I've had so many, you know, wrestling people say, I've got to come up there. You know, I really want to see your collection. I said, will I retire? You know, I'll get it sort of organized. Now, one person, I got to tell you, did make it in here. And you know how he did it? 
he came here when I wasn't home. And this was probably, (laughs) it's the truth, uh, and my wife, you know, shouldn't have let him in, but he made it in. And he found a few things that he, you know, he said, hey, this is great. I'll give it back. And he did. He did. He's a friend of mine. And, uh, well, I said I won't say names. I'll say names. My friend Charles Robinson. Charles Charles came over one day and, uh, hey, is Mike? No, you know, Mike's not. Well, we sit around and talk, whatever. And and he said, you know, Mike told me that I could look at some of his stuff because there's some stuff I I was interested in. He said it would be okay. So, So Charles came up here. He made it out, and he actually found some things he might have been looking for, but um, I, you know, it was in much better shape. Now, this is fifteen or twenty years ago, and it was in much better shape. But he's really the only person who's made it up here and and done some diving and digging. And uh, I'll tell you a pretty sight then. I'll tell you a story. I think you and I had a mutual friend in Jim Melby. We did. We certainly did. We did. And, and I met Jim. You know, Jim was from St. Paul, and so am I. And I met Jim when I was 17, and he was 19. And so we started comparing our respective wrestling collections, and we sort of grew them together, and we always went to the matches together when uh, Jim was still with us. And we did a lot of trading of photos and programs, and, I mean, we just enjoyed this type of thing. But here was the major difference. Jim was the kind of a person, and he had all this wrestling stuff. He had magazines, he had programs, he had clippings, and you know, you name it, he had it. But he he honestly, God bless him, he never had anything, any organization whatsoever. And him and I used to, we used to go back and forth. I say, Jim, you got to put it in order here. You know, here, let me do this for you. Let me put this here. And Jim would say. He, in his later years, when he had gotten his diabetes and he lost his legs, and you know, sadly, he, I'd be at his house and he'd say, could you go downstairs and grab this, this magazine or grab that file or whatever? And I'd go down and I'd yeah. say, Jim, I'm, I can't find it. I don't know where it is down here. Yeah. He never had anything in a place. And it was, it was really funny because when he passed away, and that's 10 years ago already, yeah. His daughter called me and said, would you come over? Would you spend some time here and get all his stuff organized? Oh. And I said, you know, I will. And I said, we'll, we'll get it all organized for you. And there was a few times when I'd say, Jim, what, what is this doing over here? You know, why wasn't it with this file? But yeah. Jim knew. Here's the good Jim thing. Knew. Jim knew he had everything. Yeah. And I was I was very fortunate that his stuff was preserved and a lot of yeah. it got donated to the museums and things like that yeah. and so that was good. But yeah, you got time, man. You gotta you gotta start putting stuff together yeah. now. George, do you ever make any trips in Charleston? You ever thought about coming along and making a little trip down here? Well, I haven't. No. <laughs> there you go, no. guys. But you know what? I've got a wrestling I've got a wrestling museum you'd love to organize. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's it's a that's a cautionary tale and and I know that and and you know god forbid if anything happens I don't know I don't know if anyone would even try to make heads or tails or just get a dumpster and start you know, tossing this stuff but um yeah. Well the one I, thing I that I always tell one thing I always tell my daughters, I say, you know what? They know how crazy I've been and how I've lived wrestling. And I'm just, yeah. in, you know, the history of it and all the research. Yeah. And, yeah. 
you know, doing books and stories, etc. And I've always told him, I said, you know, if mom and I die, I said, you can walk into the wrestling area and you can take it all out and haul it to the garbage on Tuesday morning if that's what you want to do. I said, however, if you do, know that you have completely said that my life was worthless. Wow. Yeah. And, and I've got it all down. If I died tonight and my wife wasn't here, where everything would go if, if indeed they wanted to get rid of it. And so that it would still be used for historical purposes and it would be, you know, still taken care of. I think that's important. It is. It is, and it's something i got to do, too, now that we're sitting here talking. Yeah, I know. I've motivated you, man. You're going to get off the phone, and you're going to be up all night. Yeah. Um, <laughs> it, it'll be more than a night, I can guarantee you. But, uh, yeah, it, it's something I've thought about, and it's something I will, you know, hopefully I'll, I'll be around long enough to, to take care of. And it, it'll be a labor of love. I mean, it's just a matter of getting started and finding a place. I've got entirely too much stuff. You know, I've... Well, and it is the way you go back in that time machine, too. Because once you start doing it, Mike, you will see that uh, you'll be be looking at stuff, the memories will come back, and you'll remember this and remember that, and you'll have so much fun. I mean, it'll be great. I may never come out. (laughs) Well, guys, it looks like that. Well, guys, it looks like the uh, the time limit here is uh, just about ready to uh, come to an end to to expiration. Boy, we got well, in we here. We have, have another match. I think we're we gonna have, have to, to have a rematch here. We'll 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 have a return match. Um, maybe maybe no time limit. Who knows? You know. We, you know what? Uh, no, I've really enjoyed this, guys. I, I and thank you so much for having me. It, it it's uh, you know it, it it's 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 a pleasure going down memory lane, but. Uh, you know, with you guys, it makes it all the more special. I, I really enjoyed this hour we've spent. Thank you. The one thing that we do, Mike, uh, with all of our wrestling memories, and like I say, we've been doing them for five years, you go back and you listen to them, all the great wrestler interviews and the authors and the historians and yeah. everybody connected. If you get a chance, listen to them while you're putting all your stuff together, and there you'll have more fun. But oh, yeah. uh, definitely we want to have you back on. we got to do this again. Well, I, I would love to. Any time for you guys. I mean that. Any time for you guys. Well, thank you so, so much. And like I mentioned before, the door is always open, and we can't wait uh, for the rematch. George and Mike, two of the great wrestling minds combined to share their wrestling memories. Well, it's time for me to get on out the door for Mike Mooneyham and George Shire. I'm Glenn Broggett. This has been Wrestling Memories on Pioneer 90.1.